was just remarking to myself that it's unbelievable. The Nosistral are so amazing. The women are so amazing. Everybody just wants to do the right thing at this time of year. We just want to know what to do. How do we do this? What? No. We want to figure out what to do. So just as an interesting thing, um, on the words of Solaleinu Simcha in Alna Ros Bavel, which we say before benching at this time of year, so the Gemara says on those words a very interesting thing, that that Yom Tov in Golis is more enjoyable than Yom Tov in Eretz Yisrael. So Rukhan Kanievsky said that his father, the Spiker, told him that that is because everybody gets exhausted by preparing for Yom Tov. By the time Yom Tov comes, you're exhausted, and so you can't really enjoy the first day of Yom Tov. So really, when you're in Chutz Arts, you have a seventh day of Yom Tov to enjoy it. Now, I love this little piece because, I don't know about you, but by, by the time the Seder comes, I'm like almost comatose. <laughs> but then you have to be up for the Seder, and then you're up till four in the morning, if you were up the night before till four in the morning. And then you have to get up and daven and take care of your guests and have a meal ready for everybody. So it is quite exhausting. And then hopefully you get a nap on the first afternoon. By the time the second Seder comes, you feel like you can actually enjoy the Seder. I don't know if you have that. Or if you're one of the saintly women that are able to fly high at the Seder, even though you can barely move. We won't go there now, okay? Not, but the point, the reason this makes me feel so good is because I love when I get an indication that Chazal realized that we're human, that we are so limited, that we want to enjoy Yom Tif, and we want to feel all the Kedusha and all the beauty and all that kind of stuff, but we are also exhausted. So it just makes me feel good that the stipler gone would recognize that that is the situation for not just women, but for men too. So as we come to this period of the three weeks and then the nine days and then Tisha B'Av, I think we all go through, this, my experience and the experience of the people I've spoken to is that we don't know how to do it. You know, when we're younger, we try to be very, very sad, very, very somber and serious and focused, right? But we don't really know what to do. How do I mourn for the base of Mikdash? What, what do I do over here? So when you hear the stipler say something like that, you feel a little bit better about not really knowing how to go about doing this. So that's a relief. However, it is clear just to me, and I'm not quoting anybody here, that Hashem holds us accountable. Yes, we have our difficulties with this period of time. You don't really know how to deal with it, but we're being held accountable. How do we know we're being held accountable? Look around. We're suffering. We're struggling. We don't know how to go about being a Jew. We don't know how to go about being people. We don't know how to go about raising children, being in the community. We're so lost. It's, everybody feels out of balance. And clear, And we don't have to be some mikdash. So clearly, something is off. And if we need to take the time to look at what's going on and see, let's see what we can understand, and then let's see what we can do about it. And that's the best we can do. So that's what we're going to try to do tonight. So one of the things that I understand about this period of time for my father's atzal is the following. He used to say that the three weeks, Shabbos the three weeks and the nine days and Tisha B'Av are the one thing that keep us Jewish. That's surprising. What do you mean? What about Rosh Hashanah? What about Yom Kippur? What about Sukkot? What about Shabbos? What about all the mitzvahs we keep? What, is, what do you mean that it's this period of time that keeps us an am, that keeps us Jewish? 
So the issue is that we are so entrenched in the goals that we're in that we don't even know what we're missing. And that the mourning that we have now is not for something that happened over 2,000 years ago. When you mourn for something, over time, the mourning, the grief dissipates. Now we're talking 2,000 years. So maybe 10 years after they were still longing and missing the base on Mikdash, longing for and missing the base on Mikdash. Maybe 100 years later they still were. But 1,000 years later? 1,500 years later? Now? Do we really mourn what they went through then and that the Besamekdash was destroyed? What is it we are mourning for? What's the loss that we are mourning? And he explains that the loss is that we are an orphaned and crippled people. We can't live as human beings. We can't live as Jews without an understanding and a relationship with Hashem that we used to have without a base on Mikdash. And he points out that every single thing that has happened in our history, whether you're talking about the Spanish Inquisition, you're talking about Gezeris Tachvetat, Chmelniki, or you're talking about the Holocaust, you're talking about terrorist attacks, you're talking about illnesses and tragedies, all of that is a result of not having a base on Mikdash. If we had the base on Mikdash, none of that would ever have happened. But even more than that, we don't know how to live as Jews. We keep mitzvahs to the best of our ability. We don't even know what it means to live as Jews. We don't know what it means to live with a Beis HaMikdash. We can actually accept a life where we can't bring karbonos. Not only that, we have no relation to understanding karbonos. It used to be that to bring a karbon was something you desired and longed for and worked for for months till you got to the point where you could come to the base of Mikdash and feel through this karbon that you are literally saying, Hashem, here, take me, this is me. I'm completely and utterly devoting myself to you. This is all of me, I'm giving you all of me. That was the sense that a karbon gave and the closeness to Hashem was so exponentially greater than anything we can imagine that it lasted you for the rest of your life. And then you couldn't wait, you longed, you pushed people out of the way to be able to come and bring another carbon. You don't even relate to what a carbon is. Well, you, you, you shecht it and then you take out the innards and you put this on the mizbeach and that on the mizbeach and you let it burn. Psst, what's that about? That's so barbaric. Of course we know better. And we're comfortable in Gullus. How many times do kids say, or adults say, I don't know what it'll be like when Mashiach comes. I'm pretty comfortable. I like my house. I like my community. I'm, my life is good. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know that I need Mashiach. Of course, I'd like everybody to be well, and I'd like life to be smooth, but I don't know that I really want Mashiach to come. But then when we're suffering, we say, oh, Mashiach has to come, Mashiach has to come. And of course, it's all about us and what we're suffering. So the problem is the loss that we are mourning is that we will not be able to continue living as an Am, as a people, unless we stop and recognize what we're missing, that we don't have an understanding of life, of justice, 
of who we are in this world, of what's right, of what's wrong. We live in communities, and look, the United States is a good place. It used to have values, it used to have you know, values of family and all these things. Now we're a little disturbed that their values are falling away, but, but it was a good country until now. It was really a good country. And, and, and many of us are caught up in the beliefs and the values and the mores of the countries around us, and we don't even realize how much I was in Shul this Shabbos, and they read in the parsha how they had to wipe out all of the men of Midian because of how they had hurt the Jewish people. And then the people come back to Moshe, and they bring just the women and the children. And Moshe says, what? You let the women live? Kill all the women. So they have to kill all the women. And then kill all the males, even the children. They have to kill all the males. And kill every girl that's old enough to have relations with a man. So now all that's left is the little girls. That is so barbaric. How can we complain about a Holocaust when we did a Holocaust to them? See, this goes through my mind. I'm not thinking like a Jew. I'm not thinking as a person with Hashem in my heart and on my mind. I'm thinking like them. And I'm thinking like them because I've been among them for 2,000 years. And it's impossible to think as a Jew after all this time. And that's why we've got to stop for these three weeks and say, who am I? What are we missing? All of the things, the suffering we go through in our personal lives. And you know the things that go on just in our community. And unfortunately, with technology, we know about everything that goes on in every community. It's enough to just break you. But all of that is because we don't have an awareness of the Ribbono Shalom. We have to actually stop and think about that. And not only that, but we're comfortable. We're comfortable with that. You know, human beings are very adaptable. They get used to everything. They get used to it, it, everything you can adapt, no matter how bad things are. If you go to India, to the poorest parts of India, and the children are wandering in the streets without clothes, and they're begging, and there's no food, that's life. That's how you grow up. There's nothing unusual about that to them, because that's how they're living. And that's how we're living. We are so used to it, we don't even know what we're missing. Rebetzin Feige Chwerski said a, 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 told a story about her husband that a number of years ago he was sitting shiva for his father. His father was a very great man, Rebbe Chwerski, from Milwaukee. And he was sitting shiva and people were coming in to give him tanchumim and they were comforting him. We know how much you lost from your father. He was such a magnificent man and look what he did in the world and the impact and you gained so much from him and he was so wonderful. And nothing anybody said gave him any comfort because he had lost this unbelievable person in his life. And she said, nothing made him feel better until he got a letter from his brother-in-law, her sister's husband. And in that letter, he says to him, listen, Michal, I can imagine that you're very, very sad that you lost your father. He was an unbelievable person, and he had such a major impact in your life. That is really a hard thing. But I want to tell you something. I have it harder than you. And I'll tell you why I have it harder than you. I never had a father. My father was killed by the Nazis. What happened with, with uh, her brother-in-law was that his mother was pregnant when the war had started, and the, the father took the four or five older children to try to escape, but she couldn't go because she was expecting a baby. She just couldn't handle the trip. They were all killed. She survived, and he was born, and he never had a father. So he says to Michal, at least you have something to mourn. At least you know what you're mourning. 
You know what you had and what you're missing now. I don't even know what I could have had. And that's where we are. We don't know. We think this is normal. We think this is the way life is supposed to be. We're not really happy and satisfied and at peace and loving each other and full of the mission of what we're doing. We don't wake up enthusiastically, most of us. I'm ready to take on the mission of Hashem today and every minute that's all I'm gonna think about. We're not thinking in that way. We don't think about it that way. We have to realize what we've lost in that. And my husband always says, you know, the way that we mourn during the three weeks is backwards. Because look at this. Take this off with me. I hope these markers will work. So this is how a regular mourning period goes for a human being, okay? First you have a terrible, terrible loss. Should do right to left and left to right. <laughs> right to left. Right to left, I guess we'll be Jewish here. Okay, right to left. So you have the loss, you have the funeral, you have the Leviah. I don't know if you can all see this or not. I should have brought Marcus from home. Sorry. we react to the person who's sitting Shiva. So that's the set phase, that's the Shiva. Then you have Shloshin Yom, you have 30 days. And during those 30 days, it's a lower step of Shiva, of, of Avelus, of mourning, than it is during, this, during that week. And then sometimes you also have the year. What, why did Chazal put this into place? Because they understand the pain that we're having and so we have to take this week of intense, intense pain, and we have to start integrating this pain into our lives. It's not just gonna go away, but over time, we will learn to assimilate it and go on with life. So after we have the seven days where we focus on what we lost, the person that we lost, the pain that we're in, we now move to 30 days in which we live more of a normal life, and then we have the rest of the year to more, and we have the first yard site. And this enables us to be able to go on living. So my husband says it's very interesting. When you come to the three, day, three weeks and the nine days, it's the opposite. You start off with Shivas or Kamas. Okay, you have a fast day. Then you have three weeks where there's certain things you can't do. You can't listen to music, don't put your hair. Okay, then it gets more intense. Nine days are more intense than three weeks. The avelus goes up instead of going down. Nine days, and then Shavua Shachalba, the week that Tishabah falls in, the avelus becomes even more intense. It gets more and deeper, and then you get Tishabah, and oh my gosh, you sit on the floor. You don't wash your hands, you don't put on anything. That's the height of avelus. It's backwards. You know why? Because we're not supposed to integrate it into our lives. It's not okay. It won't be okay. We won't get used to it. The pain will not be assuaged over the years, not even over 2,000 years. It's the opposite of mourning for a person. 
because we are a people that are connected to Rebona Shalom who have been torn away from him. And it will never be better until that relationship is restored. Thank you, Junior. But here's the thing. When Hashem gave us the command to build the, the Mishkan, he said, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. I will live in them. In them. Not among them. In them. In my heart and my mind. If I have Hashem in my heart and my mind, there will be a physical manifestation of that in the world. That manifestation will be we don't have a physical manifestation of us carrying Hashem in our hearts. We don't have it. And that's why we have to understand we don't have it in our hearts and we don't have it in our minds. And we take this period of time to think about that. What does that mean? I'll never be okay. We'll never be okay. It's not getting better. She tells a marshal, and nobody seems to know who told, said this marshal, but it's a beautiful marshal. A marshal had a king, of course. A king has a son, and the son does something wrong, and so she has to send him away. He has to send him away. He sends him far, far away, and of course he's missing his son very badly. Can imagine, he had to do it, but he misses him very badly. So he sends his son a letter, and in the letter he says, is there anything you need? I know you're exiled from your home, but..." Can I send you something? Is there something that would help you, that would make you feel better, that would enable you to live your life better? So he gets a letter back from the son, and the son says to him, you know what I need, Dad? I need a warm blanket. It gets so cold here, the nights are unbearable. I really need a warm blanket. And the father looks at the letter, the king looks at the letter, and he starts to cry, and he says, a blanket he wants? That's what he's asking. I sent him a letter and I said, what can I do for you? How can I make things better for you? Why can't he say to me, that? there's only one thing I want. I want you to bring me home. I want to come home. And instead he says, I need a warm blanket. We're doing the same thing. We daven all the time. Please, Hashem, send a Yeshua for this person. Please help this person to find the Shidduch. Please help this person to have a child. Please help this person to recover from their illness. Please help this person to have parnasa. Please help this person to deal with the problems in their family. Please help our community. Please help the Jews around the world. Please help the Jews in the Ukraine and in Russia. Please help all of us. We're all so lucky. Let's ask him to bring us home. And then we won't have to ask for the blankets. We won't feel the cold. But we don't ask it, because we don't even know what we're missing. I read a study once that when a person has, when, when people have these catastrophic injuries, where at lower lane they get paralyzed, or they lose their legs, or things like that, these huge, huge, life-changing moments, that after four years, the person is in a state of happiness that was exactly the way they were before the accident happened. In other words, people adjust to everything, and however happy
happy they were before is so happy they are now. That's us. We've had a catastrophic injury. Catastrophic. And we don't even know how bad it is. And we're used to it. So we don't think of it as something so overwhelming and affecting our lives every day. Without the three weeks, we don't live as Jews the rest of the year. So we think, oh, God, we have this period of time coming, and we have to do this on Thelos, and it gets in the middle of the summer, it ruins everything, but we'll go on vacation, air condition, but then we can hear the music, and we can do all the swimming, we do all those things. That's what it is for us. And it doesn't mean that we don't think about it, we don't try. We do try. We do try. But the first step is to recognize, to make a statement. By fasting on Shibasar by fasting on Tishapah, by recognizing during the nine days and the three weeks, Without this period of time, we aren't even a Jewish people. We will be lost. It will float away. Unless we do this and make the statement and recognize what we are lacking. And I think that's why on Tishabah we watch all the, the movies about the Holocaust and about all these different tragedies because it helps us to understand a little bit of what we're lacking, you know? But that's not really what we're lacking. That's a result of what we're lacking. So, what do we do? So it's clear that each one of us needs to bring Hashem into our hearts and into our minds. And it is clear that we, every Jew, must become an embassy of the Shina in this world. Because our job, as even the Goyim know, is to represent the Kodesh Baruch Hu and to cling to him and to have him be the center of our lives. How are we going to get there? So I'd like to talk about that a little bit. The first thing I want to do before we move on is just say to, uh, to ourselves, we are the people that are supposed to be so close to Hashem and that are supposed to be bringing him into the world. So there's a word that we can say to ourselves all the time on a daily basis, all the time, and that word is transcend. There are things in everybody's lives that are really hard, that we wish weren't so, that we can't understand, that we don't like, that get in our way, that might make life hard. So I would say to us, can we find a way to transcend? Transcend means don't pay attention to your interpretations and your feelings and your questions. Rise above them and be the people that carry Hashem in your heart and in your mind. And that's really hard. That's really hard for all of us. There's a, there's a chair here, if, if you need one. And there's a chair over there also. So how do we do this? The first thing is that we have to recognize the advantages of suffering, the advantages of gullus, the advantages of darkness. Because we're living in gullus, we're living in suffering, and we're living in darkness. So what do we do about that? So Rebelsky quotes Rav Hutner in saying the following. He says, when Klan Yisrael left Mitzrayim, and they stood at the Yamsuf, and they saw this ocean split. And they saw the strongest army in the entire world with all of its tanks 
and its missiles and its atomic bombs and all everything that it had floating in the river, covered up by the ocean. They were astounded and they saw Hashem's mastery of the world and they saw his strength and they said, Me Hashem. Who is like you in God's Hashem? Who is stronger than you? No one, you are the master of the entire world. Now that's a moment of ultimate faith when you see such a revelation, right? Says with Hutner, there is more faith when you are in destruction because when the people at the time of the destruction of the base of Mikdash saw what was happening, here was God who was the master of the world and the whole world came to serve him in the base of Mikdash. Here was the most beautiful city in the world, the most powerful people in the world, and everybody knew it. And now, the lowest of the low came and destroyed this base of Mikdash, Hashem's palace, and he let them. And they killed tens, hundreds of thousands of Jews till the streets flowed with blood. And he let them. And he didn't stop them. And he didn't say anything. At that moment, everybody said, Me Hashem. Who is like you in those who are silent, Hashem? Because the silence of Hashem's Mitzantzing himself, pulling himself back, saying nothing. It had to happen for our sake. He had to give a kapara for all of our averos. He let his name, Kaviyochel, be dragged in the mud. For us, he was silence. And until today, he's silence. He doesn't talk to us. We beg him, and we feel like we don't hear an answer. Everything falls apart and he lets it? Where are you? Why are you not answering me? Says with Whitner that faith is found in the face of silence. It's one thing to see the Yamsu splitting and say, Me, Hashem. But when you see the symbol of his godliness in front of you being destroyed by people, and Hashem is silent and it doesn't react. That's the ultimate strength. And what about us? How do we find him in this silence? Rabbi B'nai Shemema Me'b'nai B'ula Omar Hashem Yeshaya He says, you know what, Hashem? Greater are the children of destruction than the children of redemption. Guess who we are? We're the children of destruction. And we have to somehow be greater than those who stood at the Yamsud and saw Hashem. How do we do that? That's our job now. He's silent, it's dark, we're broken, we're crippled, we're orphaned. Now what do we do? I'd like to share with you something that I read many, many years ago that is the voice of a child of destruction, a Ben Shamema. I'm gonna share this with some of you before because it is such a powerful image that made such a lasting impact on me. It's in this book called To Vanquish the Dragon. We've talked about this book before. I, I think that every Jew needs to read this book. It's a very hard book to read. Very, very difficult book to read. It's about a group of Basiaka girls that went through the Holocaust together. It is an incredible book. I'd like to read you just a short piece. And you will hear the voice of a child of destruction who found his faith 
in the face of silence, the silence of Hashem. This was in the ghetto, and this girl, Pearl Benish, who, who wrote the book, had um, come, she wasn't married yet, she was still a, a young girl, and she had good Pesiaka friends in the ghetto, some of them were married with children. She comes, she got back into the ghetto from a labor camp, it's a whole long story, and it came a day where they said, okay, everybody has to gather together, everybody get, get your suitcases, like they're gonna need them, gather together, children under 14 cannot stay with parents, deliver them to the Kinderheim, and parents come here and everybody knew what was gonna happen. So she said in the streets of the ghetto, it was absolutely insane. Everybody was running around like, trying to hide their kids, they were screaming, it was horrific in the ghetto. And it was Shabbos. And she comes into her friend's apartment. Of course, there were no men around anymore, they were all gone. But here's what she says, I'm gonna read you just a little bit. I want you to listen to this Ben Shemima, this child of destruction. It was Shabbos morning, and the house radiated tranquility. As we opened the door, we found Ruchka diapering her baby and assuring the older children that all would be well, knowing full well what was gonna happen in the next hour or two. Your mother is with you, so don't worry, she stated calmly. Gittel, her friend, busy packing as she clutched her infant, her face tense, greeted us with a hearty good Shabbos. What a contrast to the street outside, I thought. But where were the other children? I saw only her oldest son, Herschelet. He was standing there davening, his face lifted to heaven, speaking with Hashem in his melodious voice. He was oblivious to everything around him, unaware even that we had entered. He was alone with God, pleading for the lives of his parents, his brother, his sisters, his people, for all suffering Jews. As I contemplated this 11-year-old boy enveloped in prayer, he seemed transformed into a living prayer, a realization of the expression, Ani Tfilah. Just as King David had said, he was prayer, and his face reflected a million Jewish children in anguish and fright at impending separation from parents, their fear of death, and of witnessing the death of loved ones. A fragile little boy, forcing himself to stand erect, gaining height as his prayer poured forth. His delicate profile was partly concealed by a small, thin hand, as if to banish from his sight all the evil around him as he said Shema, attesting that he still loved his God with all his might, affirming his willingness to forfeit his life for this belief. Every carefully pronounced word filled the room with absolute certain faith. I was transfixed. Never had I seen nor heard such prayer. Perhaps the angels in the heavenly court surrounded by the seraphim who stand before God's throne can praise the Lord in such a fashion. And yet they have no parents to worry about, no mothers to be torn away from. They have no nightmares of being killed and tortured. They do not fear for their lives, no. Their prayer could not compare to the prayer of this child. Ever since I read this so many years ago, I have this vision in my mind of the room that he's standing in. This, you can imagine he was a skeleton. They were all skeletons. They had lived with death every day for, for months and months, stepping over dead bodies, watching their fathers torn away from them, people dying all around them. And he's standing at this moment when he's about to be separated from his mother 
And he sings Shema with such devotion. There is a faith that is born of destruction, that is of a quality that can never be born of redemption. We are those children. We are the Benei love. How will we find faith in this darkness when so much is hard and so many are suffering and we're so afraid of what's going to happen next? What do we do? There must be something for us to do because we have the three weeks, we have the nine days, we have Tishabot, and we're supposed to use these days to recognize our loss and to somehow bring Hashem into our hearts. So what do we do? We look to what the Torah guides us in during this period of time. Whenever you have a Yom Tif, you can always look either at the davening or the Torah readings to give you an understanding of what it is you have to do in order to make use of this period of time. So let's take a look at some of the things we have learned that Chazal have set up for us during this time. For instance, we always, always, always read Parshas Matos during the three weeks. Why do we read Parshas Matos? Let's say many, many reasons. We're going to focus on one. In Parshas Matos, at the very beginning, Hashem gives Moshe an order. He says to Moshe, this is the thing that you should be mitzvah, you should tziva, you should command the people. This is the thing. And he's going to introduce a halacha. This is the only time, except for one other time in the Torah, where the words zehadavar are said to Moshe so that he should say exactly these words to the people. Usually, when Hashem taught Moshe halachos, Torah, he would give him an understanding of what he's supposed to teach and explanations of it, and Moshe would teach it to the whole people. In two instances in the Torah, that doesn't happen, and Hashem says, Zehadavar. Here, I want you to say exactly these words, not one word more, not one word less. And what is the instruction of these two times in the Torah? Let's take a look at this. In Parshas Matos, we learn about Nidorim, vows, and we learn about Shavuos, oaths. What is a vow? A vow is where you want to, um, you have a reason for, for eliminating some, some um, temptation from your life. So you say, um, I know that I eat too many apples, so apples are now usher to me. You have made the, the object usher to you for a certain amount of time, okay? A nether is about an object. If I say that this apple is now usher to me, this apple is as usher to me as a piece of chazer, okay? What's a shavua? A shavua is an oath where I say, I will not eat any apples for this period of time. It's the vow, it's the oath on me. It's on what I'm going to do. So a nether is a vow on the object. A shavua is the oath on what I'm going to do, okay? So Hashem says, I'm gonna tell them exactly in my word that I'm telling you, don't expand on it, don't explain it, don't say one extra word. And says, Rav Moshe why? 
Because what Hashem is telling us over here is the koach hadibor, the power of word. Okay? The power of word. So when Hashem is telling us how powerful our words are, he introduces it by saying, Zahadavar. Watch every single thing you say. Now, where's the other time in the Torah where Hashem says, Zahadavar? This is the word. It's in Parshas Achrenos. In Parshas Achrenos, we learn about what we call Shchute Chut. A person has a beautiful cow, and the person says, I'm going to bring this cow as a carbine. Beautiful cow, I'm going to bring it as a carbine. Before he said that this cow will be brought as a carbine, it was a regular cow. As soon as he says this cow is going to be brought as a carbine, it is now hegdish. It belongs to Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's hegdish. By his word, saying, I'm going to bring this cow as a carbine, he has transformed this cow into hegdish. He has made a spiritual reality in this world. The same way the person who said, I will not eat apples, has now transformed the apple into a dover asur. There's nobody else in the world that can make anything in the world spiritually change. Only a human being, a Jew, who proclaims, this is now forbidden to me. I have now said that this cow is hectish. If I take this cow and I shaft it outside of the base of Mikdash as a carbon, I am now chayav kareis. Kares is the most severe, the most severe of all punishments because it's not just death. It's uprooting me from the entire Jewish people. It's uprooting me from Olam Haba. I have no future. I have no eternity. It's Kares. But I'm the one that said the cow was hectic. Now you're going to give me Kares because I shut it outside the basement? Yes, my dear. You have the power of deep work. Debor is the power, the spiritual organ that defines us as human beings. The Ruach Memalala, which we've talked about a million times. When Hashem made us, He made it tell Elohim be a Ruach Memalala, the ability to speak. It's not speak, it's Debor. Debor creates, Debor kills, Debor builds. Debor destroys, Debor brings the most beautiful things possible into the world. From the first moment in Ganeiden, when the Nachash used the Koach HaDibor to bring death into the world by speaking the Chava, Vashnahara against Hashem. From that moment, we see the power of Debor. We all know this, and we all hear this, we all try. But here it is three weeks. And Akkadosh Baruch brings us this parsha with these words, Zehadavar, to tell us about the power of word. There must be something that we're not getting, that we're not understanding about the power we have when we speak. It's not just that you don't say Lashon Hara. Every word changes reality. Now, we're the people that are supposed to have this connection to Akkadosh Baruch He gave us this spiritual connection to his godless, to what we're here in this world for. We have to use it right. But now look at this. We have three haftoros that we read during the three weeks. Three haftoros. And when Yitzchak Breidowitz quotes, quotes um, Ratzadik HaKohen, 
and he says there's something very interesting about these three Haftaras. Let's take a look at them. First Haftarah that we read in the three weeks is from Yirmiyahu, Perak Aleph, okay? First chapter Yirmiyahu, Divrei Yirmiyahu, words of Yirmiyahu. Now remember, these are the three Haftaras to Puranusa. These are the three Haftaras that are going to tell us about our punishment. If we don't do Teshuvah, we're finished, right? And it's going to be followed by seven Haftaras of Nechama. But meanwhile, we're going to start with these three. Now, if these are the three Haftaras for the three weeks, we want to pay attention to what they're telling us because they're telling us what to do with the three weeks. Divri Yirmiyahu, number one. Number two, Shimu. Listen, hear, hear what I'm telling you. Hear the word of Hashem. So we've got speech, we've got hearing. Third, Haftorah, Chazon, Yeshayahu, Tanamot, Yeshayah, Paragalaf, Vision. What does this really mean? What are the Haftaras really telling us? It's not just about what you say and what comes out of your mouth. Because how much can you muzzle your mouth? If you're hearing evil about people, or thinking, looking through the eyes of just your own feelings and senses, as opposed to the eyes of your neshama and the eyes of your emotions, the eyes of your transcendent living, you will be speaking Lashon Hara. You have to learn, my children, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you want to fix up the three weeks? Do you want to live as orphans? Do you want to live crippled? Do you want to live half a life? Because that's what we're doing. And I'm sorry, that might be offensive to people. I understand it could be offensive. What do you mean? We're living a very good life. No, we're not. We are broken and we're blind and we're living in darkness and we think we understand things, and we don't, and nothing's okay. We're lucky when Hashem gives us a respite a little bit that, okay, can move forward in life. Most of us suffer plenty. And then we think we're the only ones. We're not the only ones. Everybody is suffering. Hashem says, why are you asking me for a blanket? Ask me to bring you home. I can't bring you home. If you're this way, I'm telling you how to be. If you be this way, I can bring you home. I will bring you home. You have got to learn to view the world with acceptance, with love, with humility, with generosity. Because if you do that, if you view the world from a place of love and not blame and resentment and complaining, your words will be pure. You won't be speaking about other people. You won't even have a desire to speak about other people. The Chazal gave us, through the Haftarahs, the exact thing we should do in order to bring Hashem back into our hearts and our minds so that we could then have the physical manifestation of that which is the base of Mikdash. It's up to us. We're the Bnei Shomayma. We are the children of destruction. We were born into a destroyed world, and I don't know if we'll die in a destroyed world or if we'll do the work we need to do and reconnect and reinstate that beautiful relationship, which is the only thing that'll make us happy. 
We do not get it. I want to read you a quote from Shmir Salosha, from the Chofetz Chaim. He talks about in here how when a person speaks Lashon Hara, the Lashon Hara goes straight to the Kisei HaKavod, to Hashem's throne. That's where it goes. It doesn't dissipate into the air. It goes to Hashem's throne. It keeps us separate from him. It is a barrier of iron, of steel. There is no stronger barrier. And we're all a part of this. And he says, into the Kodesh HaKadoshim it goes. He says, listen, listen. The first thing the Kohen Gadol, the holiest of men does, on the holiest of days, Yom Kippur, in the holiest place in the world, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, he goes in there, once a year he's allowed to do this. And before he sprinkles the dung, before he catches the dung, the blood, and he sprinkles it, he's got to go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim with the Ketores, with the smoke of the Ketores. Because the smoke of the Ketores is Mechaper. It's Mesakim. It fixes. It's Mechaper on all of that evil, evil language. If we do Tshuva. I want you to hear his words. His words are extremely moving. Listen to what he says. The hisbonein od achi, achi. Think about this. Ponder this, my brother. Sha'af shepa'am achas bashana hutar lakohen ha'godol lichnos lifnai v'lifnim. One time a year, the kohen godol is allowed to go lifnai v'lifnim into the holiest place in the world. How does he have to go in? Ki'im ba'anan ha'katores. He's got to have the, the, the cloud of Ketores. L'hasir avon Lashon Hara. To remove the sin of Lashon Hara. Misa. If he doesn't have that cloud, he's Chayiv Misa. Fa'achar kach. And after that, Hazaz Hadam. Harei da'avon zema'akiv koha kapara ta'avodas p'nim. If you don't get rid of this sin that has creeped into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the key sin is of Hashem himself, and all the avodah of Yom Kippur is for nothing, and it won't do anything. So I know that many of us are doing these maxim with these, and many of us, we learn that Allah is Hashem's Kodoshim, but the minute something overwhelms us, we feel that we have permission to say, oh, but, but he did this, oh, but he did that, oh, but she's this, oh, but we don't have permission to say the more we recognize how bereft we are, how broken we are, how many children there are that are in bad situations, how much there is learning problems, behavior problems, autism, developmental problems, marriage problems, illnesses. It's endless. We brought it on. We poured filth into Kodesh HaKadoshim. We brought it on. We keep him away. We push him away. And then we ask for the blanket because we're cold. We have to recognize what it is we're doing, what we lost, what we can do about it. And we can't give up because the, the place to find it is in the darkness and in the silence if we care enough to do it. If we let ourselves get in the way, then we can't transcend. Every Jew, every Jewish woman has the ability to transcend multiple times a day. 
things aren't going well, so now I have permission to be in a bad mood. Somebody did something wrong, now I can feel resentful. The children aren't listening, now I can lose my temper. My husband's not this, so now I can say ugly things to him. Whatever it is, we give ourselves permission. The minute our emotions are a little bit touched, we have permission to say and do and be whatever we want. No, we don't. There is a solution. And that solution will bring light through the darkness. Imagine if we would do this together. Because always, 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 when you have an am the Ezo doing something together, it's so much more powerful. The tefillah of a million is no comparison to the tefillah of an individual. And we can't even be misfollow when our mouths are so dirty. Here we are. We are the generation that's supposed to bring Hashem through our tefillah. We're supposed to bring Mashiach through our tefillah. We can't. We're dirty. We have to take this seriously. So what we're saying here is the following. We're crippled. And we have to recognize that we're crippled. That's our job now. We don't like to say it. We're crippled, and we don't even know how crippled we are. Take the time to think about it. We think like the nations around us. How many from Jews are now thinking along the lines of all these different values that are going on around us, right? We have to understand people. We have to, yes, you do have to understand people. But there are certain boundaries that the Torah gives. We can't even see it. We're so blinded. We're crippled. We have to recognize how crippled we are. We must do that avoda in the nine days. Number two, we can transcend. We are the children of destruction. We have unlimited power inside of ourselves. It doesn't matter how I feel at this moment. It matters how I behave and how I reach above where I'm standing and hang on to that higher place and act from that higher place. Everybody here can do it. I would ask you to take one minute now, if you have a paper, and write down something. Close your eyes and think and write down something in your life that you don't like, that you don't want, that is not good, that you don't understand, and determine to transcend it and bring Hashem into your heart and your mind. Take it, you don't have a pen now, go home, close your eyes and think, this is in my life, and I feel like it's stopping me from everything. I can't live because of this. I know if this wasn't the case, I'd be able to be so much better. I'd be able to take that thing and say, I will step higher. I will rise above because I am a Jew. I am that boy in the ghetto who knows that I will be dead soon. And so will my baby sister. And so will my mother. And I won't even be together with her. But I say, Shema Yisrael. If he could do it, we can do it too. And then we say, I just think about this, please. Our ego keeps us focused on ourselves instead of being focused on God. Our ego does that. How can we defang the ego? How do we take away the fangs of the ego? I really believe using the power of speech to bring love and goodness into the world will pull the fangs out of our ego 
because my ego tells me be angry. My ego tells me blame. My ego tells me withdraw. My ego tells me hurt. My ego tells me focus on me. But when you say to yourself, I transcend above my ego, the ego loses its power. And we use the power of speech, which are, is our essential spiritual organ to fight against that ego and rise above it. We can take this on ourselves during this period. We have a few days now till Tishabah. Let's just think about this. We need Hashem. We're, we're disciplined and we're broken without him, but we resist him because we blame him. But we're pushing him away. Send him the letter. Bring me home. This is the time in Abu where Mamatim Basimcha, where you lessen the level of happiness. But our Chazal, Dabra Melch, tells us, Yisamach Leiv Kefakshin Hashem. Yisamach Leiv Kefakshin Hashem. You know who are the happy people? Says Dabra Melch. Those who seek God. By the way, it doesn't say those who find God. It says those who seek God. Just the awareness that we're so far from Him and that we long, we wish that we actually wanted a relationship with Him stirs up the desire to be close to Him. That's what these weeks are for, to create a desire in us to actually care about whether Hashem is in our lives we have to be aware of what the ego does to us and how it makes us absorbed in everything that's wrong in our lives and everything that should be in our lives. We can transcend that ego and do what the Haptolists tell us. Speak, hear, interpret, take in, look at things in a different way, understand that it's not all about you, and use your power of Dibut. Zehadavar says the Parsha, during the three weeks, every word you say builds or destroys. Every word. So be conscious during the day. Am I building now? Am I destroying now? Am I building now? Am I destroying now? Try it for one day and see what a difference it will make in your life. Do you understand the power that you have? And that feel of that little boy standing in that room facing his death. That's not Arnie Sion right now. Right now. We don't know what will be. Right now, that's not Arnie Sion. But we have Arnie Sion of darkness. We have Arnie Sion of orphanhood. We have Arnie Sion of very many emotionally, emotional troubles, physical troubles, illnesses. Endless, 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 as all of you know. Endless troubles. And we can fix that. <coughs> By doing what the Navi tells us. Power of your word. Bring Hashem close and he'll bring you. He's reaching out for you. Reach out for him through this essential thing of who you are. Your deep one will bring him close. When you talk lovingly to your husband, your child, your friend, your neighbor, your enemy, you're bringing Hashem close. And everybody in this room has the power to be the one that is an embassy for the Shlomo in this world. 
every single one of us in this room, no matter where we're holding, that's what we can do. And we have this resource for you to think about how far, how far we are from who we really can be. So I hope that that gives you some, some thing to think about during these days. And if you focus on it, I am sure, I'm positive that it will make a tremendous difference in Shemayim because Hashem loves when his children of destruction try to find him and try to be the way they know he would want them to be if we were close and if we were aware of him. Let's act like him. And I'm sure that that will make a big difference. We should have a Muhammad very, very soon in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.